This week on Overtime, we talk about joy, we talk about rest, and we talk about the Carolina Panthers. Make sure you tune in. This is one you don't want to miss. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And this week, I'm so excited because it was a nerdy message. And um, I feel like it was just for me. There's so much nerding out that we're about to do. Yes, I can't wait. But first, um, I made a pledge uh, this week. I'm officially um, making my application for Panther fandom. And so we're going to spend the whole football season uh, making sure that I pass the test of qualifications. Okay. Um, So I thought that the podcast would be a good vehicle for this. I'm down. Yeah, I know. I figured you would be. That's why I didn't bring it up before this. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exact prepped, moment. but I'm always. That's prepped. okay. Don't got to get ready if you stay ready. I feel like if I gave you time, <laughs> you would make this impossible. So I guess my first question <laughs> is going to be: um, Ashley is going to be a part of a sounding board who will eventually sit down and determine whether or not I qualify for fandom. Uh, right now, it's you, Dom, of course, uh, our, our illustrious producer. Uh, my boy, uh, Joel, as mm-hmm. I was walking out, was like, hey, I need to be a part of that board. Um, there's a couple other people that yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, there are a couple other people that uh, I would recommend. Sam and, and Aaron, and there's a couple other people on that list. Um, but what do I need? What are some of the pre-qualifications um, for being a Panthers fan? Because I, I want to do this right. So Did you watch the game on Sunday? I watched probably more of the game than most people. That's fair. As, did you fall asleep? No. Wow. As a pastor, I was about to be like, it was even hard for me. This was our first game back since we went to two services. Yeah. And I had such a harder time staying awake for the whole game than I normally do. Yeah, I enjoyed but, it. I enjoyed watching the game. Um, I'm hopeful Bryce Young had some moments, mm-hmm. um, showed some flashes. I'm used to young quarterbacks. As a Miami Dolphins fan, we go through quarterbacks like people go through socks. <laughs> so um, although Tua did good yesterday... Um, but Bryce had some moments. Um, he is, yeah, he did. He's a rookie, so there's some expectation that he's going to be a rookie. Some smart play. Yeah, he is a little short, um, so some of those throws he's going to have to figure out. But for the most part, it was exciting to watch. Yeah, I'm I'm already impressed. Okay. Do you know our head coach's tie to being a quarterback? I have none. No idea. He was our first quarterback. Was he really? Yeah, yeah. Frank Reich was the quarterback amazing. on the Carolina Panthers initial season. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So I figured if we have these conversations for like 35 seconds, because yeah, we so don't want to uh, insult all of <laughs> if our... If you're not a football person... Here's my big question. <laughs> Who are the big rivals? Like the Dolphins, it was the Jets. We hated the Jets. They always came into town and, uh, you know, all the New York transplants filled the stadium. So it so this, was always a deal. This is kind of a debate. It's... Either Atlanta or New Orleans. Oh, so yesterday hurt a little bit. Yesterday hurt. Like, um, off camera, when John walked in this morning, I was like, you know, I actually feel better about this game than I have about the last several seasons. I just wish it hadn't been Atlanta um, because that's – it's like the 85 rivalry, and we really don't like Atlanta, but we also really don't like New Orleans. So um, I would say both of those, the the Bucs are the only other division team in – when they don't have Tom Brady, they typically haven't been a team to really worry about. So over the history of the Panthers, they haven't been as much of a, a rival. They ended up winning yesterday, didn't they? I don't know. I really only follow the I believe the they won, and I think they won with your quarterback from last year. Oh, good for them. Which, so, which quarterback from last um, year? Bridgewater, is he down there? No. Um, Baker? Baker. There we go. We I had, believe we they had won. Several. Dom, did they win? 
Check the internet on that. Find out for me real quick. Give me an answer. But that's it. That's all the football we have time for. But if you have any, hey, Pastor John needs to know this. If he's going to be a good Panthers fan, make sure that you um, comment in the comments and let us know. Yeah. As yeah. we continue this journey to fandom. I like this. I might have little like trivia stories oh, for you on, every week because now that I know, I'll be ready. That's it. But um, it's going to be a good football season. I can't wait. I'm excited. And um, now I got to switch modes. You got me all like football mindset. And now. Dom, just sh- shake your head when you got the answer. They did win. They did win. He had a pretty good game, didn't he? Yeah. Christian go. McCaffrey had a good game too. Out I, in San he was blazing uh, yesterday. Yeah. It was amazing to watch. Yeah. So go former Panthers. Well, again, <laughs> my former team's quarterback had 400 plus yards and I've only been <laughs> praying for that for the last 10 years. You can like two teams. You just have to know when they play each other that your loyalty it's not how I do it, Ashley. is um, It's not how I do it. Well, Can't like two teams. Okay, well, Can't we will just agree to disagree on that. No, that's like I got relatives that are like, yeah, I like the Giants and the Jets. Can't do that. Yeah, it's just that's yeah, but illegal. the Dolphins and the Panthers, they like, there's barely any conflict of interest there. Yeah, I know, but still, I just <laughs> feel like I got to go all in. We did promise that we were done talking football. We're done talking so. football. <laughs> if you're still here with us and you don't like football, <laughs> a special thank you for sticking around to us. Um, let's talk about Ezra. Let's go, Ezra. <laughs> let's get nerdy again. Um, one of the things that you did this week that I love, par- partially because I'm literally like a biblical studies nerd, that's what I'm getting my degree in right now, is that you took some time. I didn't know that to, was a major, biblical yeah, studies yeah, nerd. Yeah, so though? it's a biblical <laughs> studies nerd. Yeah. That's that's me. I'm gonna get a get a sash and everything. I don't <laughs> even amazing. know. It's amazing. Let's go. But um, one of the things that you did was take a little time to talk through the context. And one of the things that I think is so important about this is we tend to, because we have this Old Testament in particular, and we've broken it up into all of these different books, we almost treat it like they're different stories. Because yeah. other times that we use the term book, we're we're thinking about something that has a start and a finish, and it's its own thing. And yet, one of the things that was just sticking out to me over and over again as you were sharing is this is the same story that's happening in the book of Daniel. And it's the same story that we talked through some of when we went through First and Second Kings. And um, so often we think these things are happening kind of separately. But you did a good job of tying it all together. And um, you even had a great, I thought your timeline graphic was awesome because it wasn't too detailed. Like, you can't get lost in the weeds when it's like, and then this Absolutely. happened, and this happened. But um, but what would you say, just as we approach Ezra, and we're still at the beginning of the book, what is some of that important context to have in mind? Yeah, I think um, what you find in Scripture often, like often, and now that we kind of examine or expose this, I hope people see it, mm-hmm. is that Scripture, most of the prophetic writings specifically, do a really good job of identifying history and then it almost immediately introducing theology. So here is where we are historically, and this is how God's hand has been working. Mm-hmm. Specifically when you read Daniel, I love the way that he writes it, because for every moment historically, he points the people like, fix your eyes on what God has been doing and the way that God's been moving. So when you read the story of the exile of the children of God and their return to build the temple, Uh, We hear of these incredible characters like Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, but no, like historically Cyrus was a student of religion and becomes in a lot of ways very pro-religion in in different in the way that he conquered the world so he was okay with people worshiping their gods but then somehow he gets infected by the writings of Jeremiah and he has this moment 
where he recognizes where he is historically and God's hand in the middle of it and makes this proclamation that the God of Israel has put them in this place so that he can rebuild the temple and release the children. So the children of God. So you see, I think for us, as we walk into Ezra, in building seasons, we need to be reminded that our God is always in control of those who are in control. Mm -hmm. I also think it's helpful to remember, like, when Daniel wrote Daniel, it was looking back on what had happened. And I know as we get into this message, you talk about remembering a lot, which I want to come back to. But sometimes when you're in the building season, you just have to trust that God is doing something because you don't see it in the in the everyday, like, why is this happening now? Or you, you don't have that, like, 30-year perspective or 70-year perspective. But then when you get to the other side of it, you can look back and be like, oh, that thing that I thought was taking me really off track or I didn't understand why this delay happened or this seemed to be, like, just hitting a wall. Then you can see just that, that reminder that just because we don't see it happening as we're living our stories we know God is at work in them. Yeah, that word trust has become more and more uh, essential in my understanding of the gospel as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, because we use the term believe a lot. I think it's lost some of its umph, but that word trust mm-hmm. means not only that I believe, but my behavior has changed to the belief and I'm putting my trust in. Yeah, yeah. So... I think you're absolutely right on. That's why it's key to remember, because when we're remembering, we we remember why we've placed our trust in, in order to move into the next season, even though there's obstacles, even when there's things that seem scary, and even when mm-hmm. there's things that are, that are that are dark, we can be reminded of why we trust. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so we get started out, and you would think, based on week one, like Cyrus has said, let's go. They're going to build. From my 2023 perspective, you get a call from God and immediately it's going to be like, okay, I got to do this and this and this. I need to go and and start this process. And yet it's kind of surprising what we see the people of God do when they arrive first. And um, and I have a question for you just kind of about the, the context of this. So they get to where they're going to build the temple eventually, and the first thing that they do is sacrifice. Was this because they arrived at the time of this prescribed festival and it just, like, happened to fall that way? Or was this, like, do you do you even know? Was this, like, a set choice that they made? So there's some things that you can read um, as, as it pertains to the when. Um, because you're right that currently the the festival of tabernacles is according to a calendar like it works mm-hmm. within the scope of a calendar so there is some thought that this was the season for the for the the festival of the tents the the only the only way that it might not be is that the actual priests are who call everybody together okay so the the exiles return home and i think you're right in saying that sometimes with our 20, 2023 mindset we feel like if it's not instantaneous, like there's a problem. Mm-hmm. But you got to also understand they have to establish where they're going to live. You can't build a temple if there's not a roof over your head, yeah. if you're not feeding your kids, if your livestock and your, um, you know, uh, which is interesting because even the 
um, the crops were being kept. If you remember, the one thing that Nebuchadnezzar left behind when he conquered Israel or Jerusalem was he left the poor of the poor to maintain the land. Mm -hmm. So there's at least that maintenance, but they have to reestablish themselves and kind of their existence before they can turn around and build a temple. Um, but the priests at the time recognized that it, that it's important in that moment. Now, did the priests recognize because, hey, this is a great time to do this because of the season? Or did they just call to the festival before the season would call for it? You know, it just depends on how you read it. Yeah, either way, it's a really powerful move. And I thought before we kind of get into kind of how, how we can apply this to our lives, you clearly did a lot of study on this Festival of Tabernacles, Festival of Tents, and um, and if you haven't watched it yet, definitely go back and, and watch the message, because there's more than we could kind of oh, yeah, boil down to right now, but um, just give us like a a 30,000 foot view of what this festival was. Yeah, simple, seven days worth of a festival um, that's prescribed in the book of Leviticus. The idea of the festival was to remember um, which is really kind of the theme of our of our Sunday. But the idea was to remember that they would remember the faithfulness of God to, who sheltered them in the middle of the desert. So if you remember um, in the um, in the Exodus, uh, they 40 day 40 uh, 40 years in the desert, 40 days, 40 years in the mm-hmm. desert, um, they learned how to live in temporary shelter, uh, shelter. So they would, for the festival, for seven days, construct temporary shelters outside their homes so that their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids', kids would remember the season that God was faithful to keep them in the middle of the desert during that exodus. And then they had uh, different type of sacrifices. One was the, the sacrifice of water, um, where they would pour water on the altar, and there was a procession. And one of the things that I love about this festival is that the prescription for the festival is joy. Like, all this had to be done joyfully. And ma- matter of fact, modern-day Jews, uh, some actually frame this festival as the Jewish Thanksgiving uh, because there's a lot of food and a lot of dancing and a lot of singing. Um, and so between the temporary shelters for seven days and uh, the d- different uh, sacrifices that happened in those seven days, and then the eighth day is actually a separate festival where they were called to rest for the eighth day and no ordinary work was to be done so that's kind of the picture of the festival i want to talk about this excuse me this prescription of joy because i know like you've talked about it and it kind of makes sense but at the same time like i have a little bit of a hard time with what it means to be forced to be joyful is basically what it sounds like at the end of the day. Like God is saying that you must be joyful for these seven days. And, um, and you know, I have a little bit of a contrary streak in me. And so immediately I'm like, well, what if your grandma just died? Or, you know, like what if things are going on and you like, you can be prescribed medicine because you can go and physically pick it up from someone and take it. But it's hard to be told like, you have to be joyful. So I wondered if you could unpack a little bit of what it means to to be under that command to be joyful. I think from the beginning, what, what God is trying to do is to remind us that we are not slaves to our emotional condition. Mm-hmm. That even when times are tough, we can choose joy. Even when things seem unsettled, we can choose peace. Well, John, that's just not practical. I, I understand you, and yet everything I read in Scripture points to this idea that no, the God of the universe who has weaved us, wove us together, whatever that word is, who has placed us together, says, no, no, there's a place where you can learn, where the Spirit can enable you 
to navigate up this, this place where you're not controlled by your emotions, but you can choose. Now, again, it's not that there's not C's in the mornings because there's prescriptions for that in scripture, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there's understanding about that. Actually, we're going to talk a little bit about mourning and weeping this next week, which I'm really excited about, but I want to get ahead of myself. Um, so those things are natural and within the scope of things. And, and again, I'm not saying that if there wasn't a death in the family, but what we do read according to the law is that the idea here was he, he's already giving you a reason to be joyful, mm-hmm. right? Like, so he's rescued you. And because of the rescue, we can receive joy. You know, again, the psalmist uh, writes, restore to me the joy of my salvation, right? The idea that he has rescued me, I can now kind of to our point, our conversation about trust, I can lean into the idea that there's joy to be found mm-hmm. even when I'm not feeling it, which again, so often we equate this idea that what I'm feeling with dictates the way that I act and behave and scripture's fairly clear. You know, that's why this modern day concept of, you know, the obedience to your heart above all else. And yet what we read in scripture is be careful of your heart because it'll deceive you. Right. Mm -hmm. So I I think to your, to that little bit of thing that's inside (laughs) of you, I think some of it, unfortunately in 2023 is masked by compassion. Well, John, you're not being compassionate if you're not letting people feel their feelings. Um, I, I don't know what to tell you, except what I read in Scripture says, I think it's more loving to, to help people learn through the Spirit's enabling how to control their feelings instead of allowing their, control, their feelings to control them. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a really important point. And the reason that that is not lacking in compassion is that it's, it's founded on a truth that God is good. God has been good to us in our lives. God has always been good. God will always be good. It's not like you're saying like out of this vacuum, I know everything is hard, but you still need to be joyful because that's the right way to live. It's basically saying, I know this season is hard, but if you zoom out to the story that God has been writing since creation that you're invited into, there is reason there's always reason to be joyful even if you're still carrying grief at the same time yeah i also think it's very it's very telling that um with both the our understanding of god and then when jesus begins to come into the picture and communicate often they point to themselves as the source Mm -hmm. if my joy is predicated on something else Everything we read in scriptures, God is quick to say, no, no, that's the wrong thing to put your joy in. Mm-hmm. I mean, even to the death of family, right? Like Jesus has this conversation that a lot of us struggle with where he says, you know, he has a follower who's basically, hey, let me just go bury my, my relative who just died. And Jesus's response was, let the dead bury the dead because he wants them to know as much as God is all about family and loves family Family's not the source. I'm the source. I'm the source Mm -hmm. of your peace. I'm the source of your joy. I'm the source of your stability. Um, Again, in 2023, like, let's be honest, we are at a place where joy is about um, fulfilling my appetites. So my joy is in my sexual behavior. My joy is in my financial endeavors. My joy is in how good my picturesque family is. My joy is in my, my success at work. My joy is in how quickly I can accrue security. And I think the message of the gospel is still the same. All of those things will leave you wanting. All of those things will fail you. He doesn't fail. I am joy. So when you remember me, remember me as the source of your joy 
and in seasons of darkness, that remembering, that trust, you can withdraw joy. You can prescribe joy in those moments. Yeah, that's so good. What would, what would you say to someone who really has been walking with the Lord so long that it's hard for them to recall, either because they were a child, they don't remember when they first met Jesus, um, that when you talk about in that psalm that says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, for some of us, that wasn't that long ago. It's easy for us to picture like what life was like before. For others, it's it's been so long that it's yeah. almost hard to remember what you've been rescued from, even if you remember who you've been rescued to. How would you encourage people in that yeah. position to, to do this act of remembrance? Yeah, um, to, if it first starts with, we serve a God who continually rescues. Mm -hmm. So if the only time he's rescued is at the point of salvation, it's probably because you haven't risked, right? Like there's been, there's been salvation, uh, you know, the, the point of salvation, which my heart was given to Jesus. That's the, that's, you know, my actual salvation. But remember we're talking the, the penman uh, of the psalmist is not talking about salvation in Jesus because at this point, the psalmist is the Old Testament. So mm -hmm. he's talking about a God who saves, saves from battles, saves from worry, saves as he heals our body in moments that need rescue. So I would say that it's not just a moment of salvation, but in your life, there are battles that you face, giants that show themselves. Be reminded that God saves. Yeah, Does that make good. sense? Yeah, it makes a lot so of sense. So that's the continual act of salvation in your life. And again, if you have, and I don't think this is a lot of people, but there are some people who, who have played church for the last 20 years, and if you're just playing church, there's no risk. You haven't been called out to take any risks. And in, the, in that place, then, you know, I, if the only time you experience the hand of God showing up and moving, there's a really good chance that you just haven't taken risks. Is that, that I'm, I'm trying to phrase that the right way. But. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. It's especially helpful to remember because sometimes it's hard to remove our context and time and understanding of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit from Old Testament reality. Absolutely. Um, but that is really helpful to be like, oh, the psalmist wasn't writing about the joy of his salvation in the sense that we kind of define salvation as the church today. Yeah, and I think I think to some degree, like it, it's not that it's not applicable because it is. Like I was saved from sin through mm -hmm. Jesus. Amen. So, I mean, the psalmist is almost writing prophetically in that moment, but in the same breath, in David's context, which I think applies to us, he's talking about the God who shows up in battles. So when the cancer report came in and God turned around, how many times has God shown up, did the work of rescue, and three months later, it's like we forgot, mm -hmm. right? So again, when David sits back, he's like, no, restore to me the joy, that moment when I saw you, when I knew that you're the God who you said you were, that I put my trust in mm -hmm. you and you showed yourself strong, restore that moment of joy in the middle of my darkness, in the middle when, I, when I'm not sure, when things are a little shaky, I can trust that you're the God who saves. Is that the same psalm where he says, create in me a clean heart and renew uh, a steadfast spirit within me? Maybe. I don't know if it's not. We'll have to look that up. Yeah, we'll have to. Um, I, won't, I won't put Dom on that right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've turned into our researcher. We um, need to get him. We need to just put a, a <laughs> laptop in front of him and have yeah. him with some chat GTP or something. <laughs> um, yeah, that is... That's really helpful. And um, the other thing that I would say that kind of goes back into that New Testament 
view of salvation that a lot of times it helps to be around people who are encountering God for the first time. And I know for me, even recently, I've been just totally privileged to walk with someone who's really renewed and young in the faith and just seeing that daily, like, wait, you mean God loves me this much? It, it is a reminder to me, even though I was saved as a child and don't have this conscious memory of what life was like without God, it's still this like yeah. memory of, oh man, this is what God's rescued me from, that I haven't had to face this doubt or wonder if there was anyone in life who loved me or was for me or if I was only, it was up to me to be able to save myself. Um, it's, it's really encouraging and life-giving Absolutely. to be around people like that. And, um, but sometimes it might take that risk of talking to people in your life who don't know God, which is a whole different thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll talk about that on another podcast, I'm sure. Let's make it happen. <laughs> um, the, the next big thing that you talked about on Sunday is rest. And um, this was technically what came after the sacrifice, is yeah. that right? Um, but I think that you had a lot to say, and specifically drawing on your class that you took, which, P.S., I didn't know A.J. Swoboda was your professor, and oh, I read some of his stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, just wait till lunchtime, I'm going to ask you all these questions. He's the man. Um, but talk a little bit about what you learned about Sabbath in that class and your master's um, and what it means for us in 2023 to rest. Yeah, so um, I, I think not just in the master's class, but in my struggling through understanding a healthy sense of Sabbath, which I'm still working through, mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I, this idea that we land, it, it's just such a bad idea. Um, I, I th and, and I think you're experiencing this now too. Like the more you actually learn, the more you recognize how little you know, mm -hmm. and there's a, a a thirst for more information. Like I, there's so much that I'm still working out, and then and there's some that's not worked out through books, but through practice. And yeah. and so that's where I'm at with my Sabbath journey. But um, when I've thought of Sabbath in the past, I've thought of really rigorous uh, routine and like here are the 20 things that you're allowed to do and here's everything that you're not allowed to do and it had little to do with your soul resting and everything to do with just making sure you didn't work mm -hmm. um, and even that like I really didn't understand the fullness of what uh, and, and actually you see it in this passage they commit to no ordinary work but it, it doesn't mean that they, there's not work. It's just not right. ordinary work. So um, as you kind of examine the Sabbath, there's a couple of things that just I learned through that process. Number one, um, God creates the Sabbath, Sabbath for human flourishing. Um, there is no way that we can work the pace that we work without some kind of rhythm of rest. Mm -hmm. um, so he from the beginning of scripture to the end of scripture, you see this idea of rest and the rhythm of rest through the Sabbath. It is critical for human flourishing. So I think this perspective that so many of us have in today's culture, that hustle is who defines us and those who work hard earn the most. And because they earn the most, that means they're more successful. And that's our picture. So rest almost comes off as weakness what you find, not just biblically, but even physically in our body, rest is critical, absolutely critical. But we don't study the rest patterns of successful people. We study the work patterns of successful people. So 
the more you kind of dig into it, you'll find that if you want to avoid burnout, if you don't want to burn your family out, like that's a big thing for me. I don't want to have this super quote unquote successful ministry at the cost of my family. I, I want I, at the cost of my own sanity. Um, I don't want to be 20 years from now saying, but I built this big thing. Um, and, and you know, whatever that looks like, but you know, I'm far from a, a, an intimate relationship with God and I'm scarred and marked by all the damage that I've created or that's been created in me. And so much of that is burnout. Mm -hmm. So to avoid burnout, which is something that I've just been my whole life saying, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? It's just a rhythm of, of Sabbath. So I think some of the practical things I learned is I am a guy who Monday through Friday work with my mind. I'm a mind guy. Like that's what I get paid to do. Um, th there's guys who work all day with their hands and that's amazing and I just don't have that skill set that's not what I you know have been formed for so a lot of my Sabbath has to do with my hands mm -hmm. um, I, I don't spend countless hours reading during my Sabbath why because I'm reading non-stop throughout the week uh, and when I do read it's the stuff that I enjoy um, I try my hardest to spend time with people that I'm choosing to not who are you know in need of something but friends and you know, um, I, I try to take off my pastoral hat during those moments. And then, go, of course, I'm not, um, you know, hidden away where I can control all these things. But uh, that Sabbath rhythm becomes critical to figure out what it is that I do that brings energy to me, that mm -hmm. feeds me, that feeds my soul. It's in those moments. So, yes, I'm still navigating devotions. I'm still in my, you know, in moments of prayer. But during my Sabbath time, that's very personal. It's to me. I'm not necessarily praying through my prayer list for other people. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like some of the really practicals. I would say if you work with your hands, your Sabbath should probably include something that works with your mind. If you work with your mind, your Sabbath should be something that includes your hands. I like that. I've also heard, I think it's kind of the same idea, but like if you sit most of the week like yes. in your work, then your Sabbath should be somewhat active. Because I, like you, used to have this conception that if I was resting, that it meant that I must be, like, on the couch or sitting in my prayer chair, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing kind of boring things. But, um, and then, like, if you are more active in your day-to-day -day job, to use that Sabbath time as a time to be still and sit. And um, so I think we've talked about this before, but for me in a class a couple semesters ago, I redefined Sabbath just personally in my understanding as play because yeah. I realized so much of my life, especially in the season where I'm balancing not just pastoring but then going home and being a full-time master's student, that it was just like, no, the, the work of a child is to play. Like when I look at my little nieces and nephew, their parents are always like, well, their work is to play. That's how they're discovering the world. And yeah. then I'm like, well, if I'm a child of God, then what if this time is really to get out and play? So I'm I'm constantly trying to figure out ways to be doing something fun on my Sabbath. Um, for me, yeah. that means I have to take it on Saturday. I know you take yours on Friday, but all my friends are at work on Friday. <laughs> so. Yeah, Swoboda, Swoboda in one of his sessions actually spoke a little bit through the idea of play. And uh, he calls it uh, Pancake Saturday. So that's a part of his Sabbath rhythm that the whole family kind of knows on Sabbath. They're going to eat pancakes and they're going to hang out. And it's playful. And mm -hmm. it, it also... You know, not to go too far into this, but it also teaches your kids that your rhythm of rest includes play, which mm -hmm. is really important to kids like at that age. 
Um, so yeah, I, and I think to it's adults, important. we take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And part of part of Sabbath, I think, is is to take that reminder that my work is not my identity, and even if it's not done, it's not where my value comes from. So I can lay it aside for a day and just go be human. Yeah, I draw um, most of the day. <laughs> it's either drawing or I'm playing with with clay, and um, like that's just rest for me. I love that. Um, on the flip side, like we've talked a little bit about hustle culture yeah. and and how Sabbath fights against that. I do think there's a tendency also in culture to take it to the other extreme. Uh, absolutely. And um, and there's this idea that I, th- I think it's just a pushback. You know, generationally, you kind of have this like we look at like. I don't know why the 50s is what's coming to mind. I certainly wasn't alive in the 50s. But, like, <laughs> you see that this culture rewarded work so much, and now you see the swinging of the pendulum that yeah. is just like, no, I really need to work as little as possible. And what life is about is giving me all of these experiences and um, basically all of this fun that I can amass. And um, and I, th- I think Sabbath speaks to that, too, when we practice it the way that God intends. And I wonder, I'm springing this on you. We haven't talked about this, but I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that other side of the Yeah, no, absolutely. I got a text on my way home um, from my boy, George, who was watching online. Get your butt in church. What are you doing? Um, (laughs) But George sent me a text that said, hey, I don't, I think you got that backwards. I don't think you can rest for six days and work for one. And I was like, um, and he was talking about working out. I don't think you can uh, rest for six days and only work out one. And my response was, you weren't listening to the message because I told you <laughs> I don't rest. I don't work out at all. I just watch people work out. But um, no, I, I think you're right. I think like there's this fascination now all of a sudden with, okay, how do I? And for me, again, it's rhythm. Mm-hmm. In scripture, it's really clear. You work six days, you rest one. It's the rhythm. It's the prescription. The prescription is a rhythm. And that's even a hard one because in my American mind, I think you work five days, you rest two. Yeah. And um, at first it can be a little bit like, wait, what? God says to work six days and rest one. Yeah. Um, well, and now they're talking about a four-day work week. And again, I don't have any. But your job is not the only Absolutely. extent of your work no, no, when no. you are part of the kingdom of God. The phrase, the phrase again, is no ordinary work. Right. So, you know, I, all that to simply say, I do think that the pendulum f- flips. And I don't know what else is to be said except practically you got to work. And what I love about it is when the balance is right, your rest is so much more satisfying when you've worked. Mm-hmm. And your work is so much more rewarding when you rest. It's when you don't have those things in balance, you find you're not satisfied in your work, and you're not um, you're, you're not you're not energized for uh, from your rest, which is critical. Yeah, yeah, like that. I feel like we talk about Sabbath all the time. We somehow end up there on the podcast, but it's it's so yeah. countercultural to where we are subversive sabbath um, by aj swoboda yeah. phenomenal book i it's one of those books i, I had to it. read and i love it i'm surprised you didn't read it because a lot of the com- conversation that we have about sabbath it's on it my list echoes, yeah. i'm just not in a season of life where i read by choice that's very it. much that's but it. it's coming <laughs> that's it unless you develop a rhythm of sabbath but that's another conversation um, no kidding. because i read all the time so <laughs> in my sabbath you cannot put a book in front of my face the bible a little bit but, <laughs> but other than that um i don't do reading on my rest time you don't do audio books while you're um sometimes i do audio books when i'm walking not when i'm kayaking. kayaking i like the quiet of the kayaking yeah. um but sometimes when I walk, I listen to an audiobook. But even then, it's like a novel. It's something just totally. I'm a little fun. jealous of your kayaking. I might have to figure that out. 
Well, that's that's my rest. I try um, every weekend. We'll see how long it goes as it gets colder because I'm a little bit wimpy. But to either <laughs> kayak or hike every weekend. Yeah. And um, so far, I'm three for three since school started. Let's go. Um, and plug for the Center City Hiking Group. We got our first hike this coming that's Saturday. Yeah, it's the vertical mile challenge, so it actually sounds super intimidating. It does sound intimidating. <laughs> so I already um, texted Aaron and Sam, who lead this group, and we have a thing when we're hiking that if someone doesn't want to have the pride of, like, I need a rest, we're just like, look at that pretty scenery. And that's, like, the, <laughs> the clue <laughs> that's, that's the, like, we're all going to stop yeah. for a minute. And I was like, guys, I heard that there's a lot of scenery on <laughs> this <laughs> vertical mile yeah. challenge, and I can't wait to point it all out. But um, but all that to say, I like to get outside, and I'll, I like some quiet yeah. and, um, and activity. Um, I'm kind of losing track of <laughs> kind of all over are. this place. Yeah. And the message: Is there anything else from Sunday that we didn't hit on that you want to make sure that we talk through a little bit more? Yeah, I think one of the, the the takeaways that I was hoping would kind of resonate was the idea, um, kind of twofold, was the idea of sacrifice at the beginning. Because I do think often when we think of sacrifice, we think sacrifice is for what God has done, and worship is for what God has done, mm -hmm. um, and yet. When you read uh, the writers of the New Testament, they're quick to say, no, no, when we offer ourselves as living sacrifice, God reveals his good and pleasing and perfect will. So if you're planning on the build, it's probably a good idea to figure out a, uh, a moments of sacrifice. Like when are you laying yourself down for the sake of the gospel? What does that look like? And, and I think even like developing a rhythm of sacrifice which for me includes sunday mornings like that's a part of my sacrifice that's a part of my my journey in the faith like i'm i'm giving this time back to the lord to say hey i'm going to spend time in your word spend time with the community so i think that that was a uh, uh, one of the critical and we were kind of all over the place and then i just nerded out with the jesus stuff at the end and john so yeah definitely watch that if you haven't watched it yet because this was the, you actually called me um, oh. when you came up with this just for that moment of like, oh my gosh, this is so nerdy, but there, there's just so much richness. One of the things I love about being in the Old Testament, which we've actually been in the Old Testament quite a bit this year, is that when you really start to understand the significance of what God has done in these stories and even what the prophets are are saying will happen of the Messiah, there's this extra level of understanding that when Jesus says something like anyone who is thirsty come to me we can we can read that for the first time and be like oh that makes sense like yeah. everyone needs water to live and Jesus is offering life but then when you're like oh this is at the time that the water sacrifice would happen and the yep. whole point of this is you know like we need this water that's been untouched and it just all of a sudden is like come on oh no, absolutely <laughs> it's it's amazing when you read the Old Testament and, and things like festivals, the festivals point not just to what happened, but what will happen. Mm -hmm. So the water represented God's faithfulness to provide water in the desert. But then like Moses striking the rock. Yeah, and that was when you talked flows, about that, I was just like, what? <laughs> then you see Jesus. Jesus is the rock. The rock. The, and he's struck. The, and struck. Yeah, and man. water flows. And, and he's quick to say, and the found and Isaiah points to this idea that salvation would come and that the children of God would drink deeply from this 
flowing river and Jesus proclaims, I'm the river. I'm mm-hmm. the river. Drink deeply so cool. of my salvation. And to your point, the water for the, for the sacrifice had to be taken from an untouched source. Uh, uh, here's Jesus who had never sinned in all purity is saying, I'm the, I'm the, the, the source. So it was such a phenomenal study. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to just kind of point to, hey, listen, I know it's the Old Testament, but these festivals and so much of Scripture points not to just what God did, who saves, mm-hmm. but the God who also will continue to save and what he's yeah. done through Jesus and will continue to do. I know. It's so exciting, and it's such a good reminder that we don't only live after the resurrection. We also live awaiting the second coming and like we're still in that place where everything that we do testifies to what has happened but also what is to come and it's so cool yeah i'm excited about it i'm excited too so we're gonna keep going in ezra yes and um i want to give a little bit of a tease okay yeah so like ezra three um the rest of ezra three uh they actually start building so we're gonna talk through two things number one the type of people you need for the build And then what happens when there's celebration and mourning? So my kind of challenge to you is read through Ezra 3 uh, on your spare time. If you're part of our community, we'd love to see you Sunday. And let's just kind of see how God speaks to you, how he speaks through us, and what that looks like. I, I know a lot of people actually even last week were like, I was really interested to see how you didn't do Ezra too, because it's all just like (laughs) genealogical list. I can't even say that right. Um, But a list of births and a a list of families. And I'm like, yeah, we're just going to skip through that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm really excited about this week. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. So if you're in Charlotte, we'll be here at 9 and 11 is when we have our Sunday morning worship experience. And then we stream it at 11. So if you're not in Charlotte and you want to join us that way, please do. We'll see you then. See you then.